0: So this morning we are uh, going to begin a season together in the Gospel of John. We're actually splitting this book into two parts. So we're going to do one part that will last from now until Advent. And then after the New Year begins we'll do a second part that goes from the New Year and then just through Easter. And I'm really excited about getting into this book together. One reason I'm excited It's just that we haven't actually walked through one of the four Gospels in its entirety at Redemption Church in in some time. It's been, I think, 2016, 2017, and that was Matthew we walked through at that time. Uh, Another reason that I'm excited is just that I love this book. I love the the Gospel of John. All four of the Gospels are great because we really get to know Jesus, right? We get to uh, listen to his teachings. We get to see uh, his works, But John is a little bit different than the other three Gospels. The others are usually called the synoptic Gospels, meaning they essentially tell the same stories in in basically the same order. Sometimes they even use some of the same words. Um, But John is different. It's usually called the fourth Gospel, and it's it's distinct in a number of ways. It doesn't tell the same stories, and the ones that it does share with the other uh, Gospels are clearly told from a unique perspective. And I think... Like what I love most about John is that for whatever reason, this gospel just tends to zoom in on Jesus in a way that really like expands my uh, view of who Jesus really is. And so my hope is that our time in John is going to do the same thing for you. It will make Jesus known to you in a bigger and maybe fuller way than when we walk into this book. Now before we jump into the first chapter of John this morning, I I think we have to jump all the way to the back of the book because near the end of this book, John clearly tells why he wrote this gospel. If we want to read it correctly, I think we'll do well to understand the author's intent. He says this, John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, John says this, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So why did John write this book? He wrote it for those of us who weren't there um, who have not seen Jesus in person, he wrote so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you and I may have life in his name. And I think that's so important for us to hear right from the start because I think that we often use this book and really just like the whole Bible in so many ways for a purpose that sort of sounds the same but really misses the mark. We often use the Bible to get people to believe in Jesus, but we just stop there. And if we stop there, it's really not the same thing. It's not defined enough. I mean, why do other people need to believe in Jesus? Why do they need to believe what John believes? Why do they need to believe what I believe? Why do people need to believe what the church believes? I think, unfortunately, we often lose our way right there. We want others to believe because it will grow the church, maybe, or, or, or because it feels like Winning or maybe we believe Jesus wants us to win something like he wants the Christian church to like figure it out and prove all other beliefs wrong and win everybody else over. Maybe we want others to believe so that Jesus will come back and that heaven will come. We might want people to believe in Jesus for a lot of reasons and and likely I think even like the ones I just said many of those reasons have some truth in them. But I love John's reason for writing this book and for wanting people to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John says he writes so that we would believe and that by our believing we may have life in him. It's just not the language of winning. It's not the language of accomplishment. right? It's not a language about believing so that after you die you wake up in heaven. Rather it's a language of love, it's of care. It's of wanting the very best things for another person. And it's an invitation uh, for you and for me to find life right here and right now. He wants us to believe in Jesus so that we may experience true living. That's what I want for us too. That's my real hope for our time in the Gospel of John. I want us to meet and get to know Jesus for who he is over and over and over. And again in ways that give us life in his name that's sort of a long introduction but but with all that in mind I want us to turn back to John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18 and we're going to go ahead and we're going to read through this passage John chapter 1 1 through 18 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is the Father, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John is writing this book to make Jesus known to us for who he really is. He wants us to meet him. He wants us to know him fully. And here, in this like opening introduction to Jesus, he starts his gospel in a much different place than those synoptic gospels. Matthew starts his gospel with Jesus' birth, and then he traces his genealogy back to Abraham. The gospel of Luke starts with the conception of John the Baptist and then of Jesus, and later he details a genealogy that links Jesus all the way back to Adam, the very first man that God created. Mark skips the nativity scene altogether, jumps to John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism. And all those serve a purpose and are excellent in their context, but John does just something totally different. When John introduces Jesus, he introduces us to the Word, who was in the beginning, who was with God, who is God, and who created all things. I love that John introduces us to Jesus as the Word. Like his Jewish audience would have been on board with what he was talking about, at least at first when he started saying the Word, because the Word of God or the will of God or the wisdom of God in a Jewish understanding was often personified, even in the Old Testament Scriptures. So Jewish people would have uh, even seen the Word and the will and the wisdom of God as divine, but they would have seen it as created by God and separate from Him. So the Word being personified in Christ, that wouldn't be a problem for them. But when John goes on to say that Jesus is the Word and that He was not only there and with God in the beginning, but that He was God, he's probably blowing the lid off some stuff for his Jewish hearers. Because John is explicitly saying that Jesus isn't just somebody that God uh, used. He isn't just a personification of something divine. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is putting Jesus on the very first line of all of Scripture, in the beginning. He's purposely letting all of us in on the fact that Jesus himself is eternal God. Back uh, at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 verse 3, when we start getting some details about how God created the heavens and the earth, it says that God said, let there be light. And in John 1 we see uh, Jesus, the creator himself, is called the Word. That's always, that just does stuff to me, right? That God spoke creation into existence and that he created with the Word, why would he do that? Why would he build something like with his hands? Or why would not he breathe it? Or why would he just have to like co- conceive of it? I believe it's because God is saying something in all of this. And when God speaks, like his words actually have uh, dimension, they have shape, they have texture, they have color. I shared a little reel on Instagram, on the church's Instagram earlier this week. Maybe you saw it Saw it, Um it has to do with cymatics and a, a cymatic experiment uh, called Cladney's Plate. Cymatics is just the study of uh, the geometry of sound or uh, sound made visible. And the Cladney Plate is one of the experim- experiments uh, that's used in the study. And at its most basic, you could just kind of like, you get a steel square metal plate, you shake some sand onto that plate, and then you run like a violin bow down the side of the plate. And when you do that, the vibration made will form the sand into different geometric shapes depending on the tone made with the bow. You can kind of see some of these uh, up behind me. A little more advanced experiment will place a speaker under the same sort of steel plate and then it will run different sounds through, uh, maybe using a keyboard or some other device like that. And with each sound, the, the sand will actually shift from one shape into another. Like I said, there's a few images running back behind me. Isn't that just the coolest thing? I just think it's so cool. And it gets a lot more complicated than that. That's at its very most basic level. I remember the very first time I saw this done, it was in a humanities class at Augusta University. It wasn't called that back then. It was called Augusta State or GRU. I don't know. I don't know what it was called. And... When I saw it, my mind in that moment went directly to the scene from C.S. Lewis's The Magician's Nephew. I'm sorry, I'm doing a a Narnia thing It's church. That's what's happening. That's where my mind went, was The Magician's Nephew. There's a scene of, of Narnia's creation in that book. There's this beautiful singing like in the darkness. And almost like from the song itself, the stars start to fill the sky, the sun begins to dawn, the grass begins to grow under their feet, and out of like the dirt, animals start coming out and popping up like they're created. Somebody actually drops a piece of a lamppost that they accidentally brought from our world. It falls in the ground, and because everything is teeming with so much life in the moment, a lamppost grows up out of the ground. You may encounter that later in another book. And I, it's all Aslan, right? It's the great lion. He, he's like walking and he's singing this whole thing into existence and bringing it up to life. I love that scene. And I thought about how God spoke. And everything came to be. How his word gave everything shape and order and purpose and definition and life. Isn't that cool to think about? Like Jesus is the word. God spoke, and out of the formless dark and void came order and defi- definition and life. That evening happened like 20-something years ago probably, and for me, it's just blowing, been blowing my mind away ever since. I don't like to talk about it too much, although some of you have heard me talk about it because it's really cool, but I also feel like you know it makes me sound crazy. But I don't know what to do with that information. There's nothing I feel like i got to prove with it, but... The way all that just ties together, it just blows my mind. It leaves me awestruck. It leaves me in wonder. And it stretches my understanding of Jesus beyond what like, my small brain can actually wrap around. And honestly, it just makes me really happy when I think about it. In the first chapter of John, we find that this Jesus, whose story maybe we tend to think of as starting in the nativity scene in Bethlehem, He's actually the Word of God. I mean, John, in this first chapter, he does jump over and he talks a little bit about John the Baptist in this passage, like where some of the other Gospels start. But he works from the beginning of all things back to John. And then even when he talks about John the Baptist, what John the Baptist came saying is clearly the same. That John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus, even though he was physically born before Jesus. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who, came, uh, who John came to prepare the way for, was and is God himself, who always was, always is, and will always be. He's the light of the world. He's the giver of life. He's the word putting on flesh. He's God stepping into our reality. And I guess what I want us to see here is that Jesus is God, and his story doesn't start at Bethlehem doesn't start with his baptism by John the Baptist or with the beginning of his ministry. No. Like his story is the eternal story. He's the teller of the whole story of God. And all of creation exists as his expression. That's who Jesus is. This passage just always stretches me and I think it stretches me in such a way that it means I can't really tie it up real neatly honestly. But I think what we should see this morning is just from the very first lines of this book, we find Jesus to actually be beyond our comprehension, to be awesome, to be wondrous, to be almost more than we can believe. Which I think is an interesting way to start a book whose purpose is for you to come to believe in Jesus and find life in him. But if we stop and think about it, how could we have any hope of finding life in Jesus if he isn't eternal God? The very creator of the universe. The one in whom all life comes from and from whom our life was given. If Jesus was anything less than who John just introduced us to at the beginning of this book, how could we ever believe he has anything for us? But the eternal name of Jesus here in John 1 is the word. The name is teeming with life. By and from the word, all life has come to be. And if we want to truly live, where else would we go? There is life for us in his name. Which is the second half of the purpose of the book. This opening passage from John, it ends in verse 18, which says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is echoed elsewhere in the New Testament. Colossians 1.15 says uh, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, the whole reason John is writing this book is so that we might come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we may find life in his name. And what John says here, and these other passages echo, is that Jesus shows us who God is and what he's all about. He's making God known to us. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the word that makes the invisible Visible, He's the exact imprint of his nature. He's the radiance of the glory of God. And so like as we journey through uh, this gospel, John is going to just show us who Jesus himself actually said and demonstrated himself to be. And what we're going to find is that John isn't just making some stuff up here at the beginning. The Jesus he introduces in chapter 1 is who Jesus himself claimed to be, and demonstrated himself to be, and it's what Jesus said he came for. But I think we should also realize, just as we get going up front, that what Jesus said and what he really did rubbed a whole lot of people wrong. It really stretched a lot of people further than they were willing to go. They they hung him on a cross, and they mocked his claims. So I think that we can expect that at times we too will be stretched by the Jesus that we're going to meet in the Gospel of John. He won't quite tick all of our boxes. He won't quite stay within our lines. We won't always quite be able to wrap our heads around him. You know, we say often around here at Redemption Church that we are striving to know and to make known the real Jesus. And we say that because we know that the Jesus that many of us have been introduced to has been someone, uh, someone who's less than good, someone who's less than powerful, less than life-giving and full of love. We know that he's often been mis- misrepresented even by us in this room. We know he's been used as a weapon. We know that Jesus has been used as a tool to build something for ourselves or as a, a face for an us-versus-them uh, religion that's trying to win the world. But John says he wants us to believe so that we may find life in Jesus. That means this is for you, and it's for me, it's for each one of us. It's not for church growth, it's not for winning something, it's not for winning the world to our side. It's for you to experience life as you are created to live it. And this somehow is found in knowing and making known Jesus Christ. Like I said earlier, John's language, it isn't a language of winning. It's not the language of accomplishment. It's a language of love and of care, of wanting the best for others. It's an invitation for you and I to find life right here, right now, in the present, in this life. We're being invited to believe in Jesus so that we may experience true living. That's what I want for us. That's my real hope for our time in the Gospel of John, that we would get to know the real Jesus over and over and over again in a way that is life-giving for us. So what I want to invite us into this morning and, and over the coming months is to let the Jesus that we meet here like stretch whatever ideas we already have of Jesus and of God. Like let the Jesus we find in these pages over the next several months stretch Uh, your understanding beyond what your understanding can actually hold. Where he creates tension, let's be willing to sit in it. One of my favorite lessons is that of a rubber band, right? A rubber band uh, that's stretched and under tension. It has power. It can launch things. It can hold things together. But a rubber band that isn't under tension is just unused and it's powerless. So tension isn't always bad. We can sit in it. It can be good. It can be powerful. So I don't want us to shy away from it. I want us to walk into it. And perhaps, like, just as we enter into a time of response here this morning, we could just start by reconsidering the Jesus that John just introduced us to you in this first passage. The Word. Who is God? Who created all things? Right? The light of the world, the giver and the sustainer of life. John introduces us to Jesus as the eternal creating God. And maybe you have imagined him as other than that. Or maybe you have imagined that he created uh, the world and now he sits at a distance. But what we see here uh, says otherwise. Jesus is the word made flesh. He stepped into his own story. He dwelt with us in order to make the invisible God known to us. He has come to be with us, to give us life in his name. So I'm going to invite you into a few moments of prayerful response. I just want you to consider, like, who does the Jesus that we just met tell us about what God is like? What does this Jesus tell us about how God wants to be with you? And I just invite you to meet him in prayer and answer those questions and let him answer those questions and let him stretch you. Spend some time with him over the next few minutes. As we respond, the band will come and they're going to continue to lead us in worship. And we're going to come and we're going to take communion uh, together. We'll come to the middle aisle. You can come down. We'll have bread and we'll have juice and we'll have wine. And you can take the bread. You dip it in the wine or the juice which is, of course, representative of the body and the blood of Christ that was given for us. And when we do this, we are remembering that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the eternal God, he is the giver of life, and that he stepped in. The word became flesh on our behalf to meet us here. And to give us life. And so we're remembering that. And in our eating, we're also proclaiming it to one another. This is good news. We are demonstrating it to one another. We are made one family in and through Jesus Christ. So if uh, you're a Christian, we want to invite you to come and to take and to make that proclamation with us, uh, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not. We'd invite you to do that. As you come, there's a giving box in the back where you can give. Many people give online, some of us are on automatic. And that stuff just slips right out and we never have to think about it. I just want to invite you into a moment as we respond to remember and to not let it slip away. but To remember who he is. He's the giver of everything. And it's not supposed to just slip out of our bank account. And It's not some obligation we're just meeting. It's worship of our God. It's an it's a intentional act of trust uh, in God. And so just take a moment and remember that gift or give that gift and worship our God as our provider. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we can come and take as you feel ready. Spend time in prayer. Pray with one another if you would. And uh, when you're ready, you can come and take. Our Father, we, uh, we just, we come before you. Just knowing that you are—you really are beyond our comprehension. You are other, not just other. You are holy. You are, you are pure. You are righteous. You are far above us. You don't ha- you never had to meet us. I mean, that's not an obligation. But you stepped into your story. You actually you just from the very beginning started telling a story that you knew you'd step into that would demonstrate who you are, how great you are, how awesome and wondrous you are, how great your love is for us, your children. Your story like is, is life. I mean it's it's life giving. And when we when we try to when we try to make our own story, when we step away from yours, like we it's death out there. But you came to give us life. To draw us back in. died and gave his body the word became flesh and he rose again defeating death, giving us life God, it's just it's a lot I pray that you stretch us Lord I pray that you make Jesus known to us for who he really is to the fullest amount that we can possibly wrap our head around and our heart around Make Jesus known to us. Make Jesus, like, just spill out of us. Shape us into Christ's likeness individually and together, Lord. Make Jesus known through your people here. I pray these things in Jesus' name.